Hello and welcome to the 905er podcast. My name is Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. If you live outside Burlington, you might be surprised to learn that a political battle has been underway in the city for over a decade now. It's a battle that's been astonishingly vitriolic at times, with deeply personal grudges and deeply held animosities. The battle has been over the subject that, in different guises and in different cities, is an almost constant subject of concern on this podcast. It's the question of development, urban planning, and who runs Ontario's municipalities. Is, as Oak Falls Mayor Rob Burton said in 2017, Ontario run by a cartel economy of big developers who ride roughshod over the democratically informed decisions of local government, using a compliant provincial government and appeals at the Ontario land tribunals, formerly the LPAT, formerly the OMB, to always get their way? Or are the cities too narrow-minded and parochial, with the province playing a necessary role to ensure growth and density are achieved? In Burlington, the debate has focused primarily on the city's downtown and waterfront. Current Mayor Marianne Meadward built her political career as the champion of those who want to stop what has been called overdevelopment. It began in the small old Lakeshore Road precinct, a narrow football-shaped area of land on the lake bank, which Meadward claimed was in danger of being destroyed because of modifications then being made by city planners to allow mid-rise development in a neighbourhood characterised by heritage homes dating back as far as the 1840s. As Mead Ward's career took off, so did local opposition to proliferating development applications. The local strength of feeling saw Mead Ward elected mayor in 2018, replacing incumbent Rick Goldring, and all but one of Burlington's councillors was replaced with first-time councillors. One of those new councillors was Lisa Kearns, who replaced Mead Ward as councillor for Burlington's downtown Ward 2. And contrary to many predictions, the council elected in 2018 has undoubtedly achieved significant change to Burlington's downtown planning framework and extracted a major concession or major concessions from the province. The presence of Burlington's provincially designated urban growth centre and a Metrolink's major transit station area in the downtown had been acting as metaphorically large neon signs that pointed at the lands in the downtown neighbourhood and said, build here. Those who opposed the developers, the argument went, did not stand a hope and were selling residents lies because there was no chance of changing those designations. But those designations have changed this year. On November 10th, Minister of Municipal Affairs Steve Clark confirmed in writing to the city the details of changes that had been announced at a press conference in June. The province had agreed to move Burlington's urban growth centre away from downtown and closer to Burlington Go Station. Meanwhile, the MTSA designation, which claimed Burlington's tiny bus station was a major transit hub, was also removed. Clark said in June, By redesignating the Urban Growth Centre away from the downtown and closer to the Burlington Go station, this will ensure that the downtown area is preserved. So it seems like Burlington's new council has gotten everything it wanted, right? Well, not so fast. The devil is in the detail. In the city press release announcing Minister Clark's changes on November the 16th, it emerged that Clark had made a number of very large exceptions to the move of the Urban Growth Centre. Seven developments already in the application stage- stages were exempted, meaning they can go ahead under the old planning rules, as if nothing has changed. Those seven developments, if they go ahead, will include the tallest buildings yet seen downtown, reaching over 30 storeys for the first time, with the tallest located right on that little football-shaped piece of land on Old Lakeshore Road where Marianne Mead Ward's career as a politician began. 
Were all the promises made in June just a con? Has the entire purpose of the downtown changes been rendered largely useless by Minister Clark's exceptions? To discuss these questions and more, we're pleased to be joined today by Burlington's councillor for Ward 2, Lisa Kearns. Councillor Kearns entered politics in 2018 after being one of the public faces of the grassroots opposition to development downtown in 2017. Prior to entering, entering politics, she gained a degree in political science from Western University before working in healthcare, manufacturing and advertising. Lisa takes part in volunteer events, environmental initiatives and partnership opportunities and places great value on working in a way that improves lives and drives value for people. Welcome, uh, Councillor Lisa Kearns, to the 905 podcast. Uh, really great to have you on today. Thanks. So glad to be here. So I thought we'd just start off with, um, for the benefit of people who don't live in Burlington and and no doubt haven't followed things as closely as, as uh, all three of us probably have, I thought maybe you could just give us a, a sort of quick potted history of, of why this um, controversy has developed over really a decade or more. Um, with regard to development in Burlington's downtown, which is uh, the ward you represent. Sure, absolutely. So I think if we look at present day Burlington, it has so much to offer, which is really special. It's situated between uh, the escarpment and its steps from the beautiful Lake Ontario. And really what's helped to characterize downtown Burlington is an eclectic mix of shops and shop owners and people who live and work and play in and amongst their community. And I think at the core of it, it's really about um, preserving some of that character while also welcoming some sensible growth and with some of the onslaughts of the developments that, um, you know, I'll use the community's terms, feel a lot like over-intensification or over-development, folks really got their backs up um, when they started learning about some of the planning processes that are undertaken to help shape growth in a city, like an official plan and provincial policies. Um, and that's when people really wanted to become much more involved and wanted to uh, help be part of shaping the way in which Burlington is going to grow, but also importantly, uh, you know, maintaining and preserving the things that they value. And there's a whole list that the city's put together from heritage to eclectic shops to uh, low scale, like low, low scale development and, you know, protection to the access to the lake has been really important things. And we want to see development that respects those things that our community members value. No, I mean, and I guess that the, the traditional, and we'll get into the details of what's happened in in recent weeks in a few minutes. But but I guess the the traditional pushback against that has been, you know, this uh, my least favorite word in the English language, which is um, th- this is the NIMBY problem that people just don't like change, and they you know we need to have new homes, we need to have new development, uh, and this is just local people opposing that. But what what do you say to to that claim that's often made, just so we can get it out of the way right at the start? So I really don't think that it's a helpful part of any conversation to be calling folks NIMBYs or YIMBYs. I think that there um, really hasn't been a pure opposition to welcoming new residents into the Burlington community, but I think there has certainly been uh, some opposition and pushback around things that don't really feel compatible. I think that came to a tipping point when 23 Stories was approved by previous city council kind of right in the heart of downtown. And that's where those types of words started coming into our our community's voice saying, you know, NIMBY, YIMBY, yes or no to development. But really, this was just the first strike of development that wasn't being seen as compatible for the community. Uh, And 
what um so obviously in recent weeks we've had um we, we had a, a, the press conference with the with the minister of municipal affairs uh, and uh, l- uh, the local mp jane mckenna and the mayor Marianne ward and yourself um and then last friday i believe um an announcement from the province about um the urban growth center uh, can you just explain what what um what that's all about what what's been decided with the urban growth center and and um uh, and what your feelings are about um, where that positions Burlington going forward. So it's important to recognize that there are higher level provincial policies that municipal planning decisions and planning frameworks have to roll up into. And we get that. There's a cascade down from federal level on how population is dispersed to the provincial level on how it's absorbed and to the local level on how it's actually built uh, and where and at what scale and at what size. And so we just want to recognize that there's two major tools there at play, and one is an urban growth center, and those have been designated across many, many municipalities. And that's really to help to direct infrastructure funding to the tune of, you know, what would support 200 jobs and people per hectare? And the other is a major transit station area, that's MTSA, and those usually guide growth for about 150 jobs and people per hectare. We know quite certainly that Burlington was already on track to meet those targets targets about 10 years in advance. And we've done some studies uh, that have talked about what do we still need? Where are we? So all of that has been uh, settled by way of uh, some additional studies that were done by our planning staff. So in that regard, those two designations have actually been used to help support cases in front of the Ontario Land Tribunal. Many folks will know that as the OLT or the uh, LPAT, the, the the, the LPAT was another word for it in, in recent times, but it has been changing. And so those two designations have helped to guide growth where growth should be going. But Burlington said, you know what, it's kind of done its job already. We put in an interim control bylaw. It's a tool that we can use under the Planning Act when we want to take a pause and we want to study the impact of some planning matters on uh, planning conditions. And so we took a pause and we looked at, you know, does this major transit station area really function like one and will it ever? And also in response, we took a pause to the growth that was coming into Burlington that was far beyond what planning staff had ever really considered. So as a result of that, we had enough, you know, documentation and public engagement to come to the minister after we had approved a new official plan and say, you know, we'd really like it if um, you could shift our urban growth center, not on the downtown anymore, but flip it up and bring it in and around the Burlington GO station. Uh, because we know from the minister that, that that supports where Ontario was going with helping to welcome in complete communities that are transit oriented and are amenity rich so that people can really live, uh, you know, in, in these types of newer communities that, that offer really everything. So, um, so that's what we did. Sorry, just, I just want to ask a quick question. So, the, you know, this week, or I guess last week now, uh, the minister, uh, Mr. Clark came in and said, okay, we're officially, we're putting the paperwork essentially, and we're officially moving the designation from the downtown up to the go, go lines. However, there was a big caveat on that. And there's a, they basically grandfathered in uh, seven existing uh, proposals that were put in under the old system. And they said they're grandfathered in and they'll be considered considered through the the the, the new system uh, or, or still be considered. They don't have to be re, resubmitted by the uh, by the develop, proposed developers. Can, do you tell us what your your thoughts are of that? Is this a, you know, do you think that's a fair 
decision by the by the minister, or do you think that it kind of goes against the what the the spirit of that promise of moving the the urban growth center to the GO stations was all about? Sure. So we have a plan and we have a vision. And what the cumulative effect is of these buildings and these planning applications that uh, are being considered site-specific are really that they, they seek to undermine the overall vision. And once those come into play, it will be very difficult to allow for that vision that's been set in place and, and charted in its course to, to come full circle um, because at that time will technically be rendered planless because there'll be so much development that's not compatible with the vision and the plan uh, that it'll create precedent for other things and other developments that are also not compatible. And that would really have the cumulative effect of completely undermining all of the work that's already been done. That's why residents should be concerned. And that's why I think there is reason for concern that while this is a very positive uh, step and it's a positive announcement for good planning, it also leaves that huge piece of risk unaddressed. Do, do you feel that the minister shortchanged Burlington by adding in this grandfathered, these, these seven grandfathered projects on his decision? It wasn't just, okay, we move it and now everything has to be considered underneath these new rules. There's now seven, and there's, there's significant projects too. They're, they're not just little you know, a, a sprucing up a, a park corner or something. This is ma- these are major developments. Do you, do you feel that maybe Burlington wasn't that this the minister didn't really hold up to the spirit of that announcement? So I would say that I, that the decision doesn't fully support the thoughtful and considered conversations that we've had to preserve the character of the downtown and to welcome that responsible growth. And I really understood us to be uh, working towards the same outcome. Now. When you talk about being shortchanged, like should the minister's decision fail to address this transition issue, it really could result in intense pressure for that incompatible change. I just had one final final thought. Um, you said what the agreed to vision for the downtown. I'm, I'm, this is a question I've I've had people and when I've had conversations with lay people uh, in Burlington and elsewhere about the official plan. Can you just explain to us what exactly is the vision? for Burlington underneath the official plan. Can you summarize what what it is that the city council wants to see Burlington look like under this this new new plan that was uh, approved? Sure. So, as many people would maybe know from a from a layperson perspective, there was an official plan that was adopted by the city in 2018. Uh, many residents were not feeling that that plan was in line with how they wanted to see Burlington grow. It did consider heights that were far in excess, uh, right up to property lines, right through the core of uh, Brant Street's spine, in and around the lake, um, on that east side, that, that residents, and especially in some of the abutting established neighborhoods, there were heights there and uh you know, built form that wasn't really compatible with some transition policies that have been re-reviewed. And so council brought it back, um, you know, by way of of the region asking us to do some additional work as well on some of the amendments. And we were able to re-examine and re-scope the downtown policy. So we did a second set of engagement opportunities as well as a second review by planning. And the vision really at the end of the day does tamper down some growth. It pushes some um, at-grade podiums a little bit further back by 20 meters. It allows for that openness and that small uh, main street feel to be a bit more preserved while enhancing some additional transition policies around the back end of these buildings so that they're uh, cascading down into established neighborhoods as opposed to just the traditional design work that's, you know, podium, 
tall, skinny tower. There you go. Boom, 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 one after the other. So the vision was much more tamped down than the previous official plan and still continued to push height up Brant or more to the north where it would be in and closer to the GO station. So uh, overall, it, it talked about, you know, much more alfresco style built forms in and around the, the foot of the water. And when you brought it all together with that precinct plan piece, it looked to preserve Village Square, very sort of historic node, uh, very unique destination place. It looked to uh, protect some of those established neighborhoods that are in and around the periphery of the official plan downtown area. Um, and really, it just is a vision. It's a comprehensive vision. So it doesn't allow really for individualized applications to be pushed through uh, a higher level of planning. It really looks to build a comprehensive feel for the overall downtown experience. Uh, address the whole official plan thing. I mean, I mean, official plans are the most powerful tool that a city has to implement its vision, a city council and city staff collectively. The problem is that the rest of the world appears to f- view official plans as a starting point for a discussion and a little more than that. So obviously, in recent weeks, we've had the um, development at Pearl Street and Lakeshore uh, come forward, which, you know, in the in all the different versions of the official plans that have been that have been sort of submitted and gone through the process in recent uh, years, was nowhere near the height that's just been uh, allowed by your, the OLT. I mean, I guess it comes back to the simple question: Is it basically that municipal councils do not really have control over development anymore, particularly in their downtowns, towns, particularly in areas which are most desirable to the to the to the major developers? That you can. I mean, I know how hard the staff work. I know how hard councillors work drawing all this stuff up, discussing it for years on end, going through all the process, getting it approved at the region, getting it approved at the province. And then the very first thing that comes to OLT, you might as well just throw it all in the garbage because they're going to do what the hell they want anyway. And, you know, you say 17, the developer says 29, developer gets 29. Um, is, is that an, uh, an unfair sort of characterization of, of the way things work in municipal government? So to start back with the official plan, the way I see an official plan is a covenant between the community, the constituents, and their local government. So you're asked for your feedback, you're asked for your input, you're asked to come and delegate, you're asked to help shape the future, you're asked to come to workshops, and then all of the stakeholders are considered, law is considered, uh, best planning is considered, and then you end up with an official plan. What we have in Ontario is an Ontario land tribunal that is unlike any other and has delivered a series of blows now to Burlington, the first being the Addy decision at 374 Martha, which made the way for a 26-story building at the foot of the lake. Um, Lots of opposition there, very vocal opposition. And the basis of the tribunal's decision was, in fact, that major transit station area, which was believed at the time to be you know, a transit supportive development and therefore should be allowed. In response, the city of Burlington helped to sign on to a motion at the region of Halton calling for, you know, calling calling for the province to abolish the land tribunal or the OMB or the LPAT, whatever you'd like to call it, and to put more authority back in the hands of municipalities so that they could carry out what, again, I believe is a covenant between the community and the city on how their city should grow. And 
you know, it's important to recognize, you know, we do have best planning estimates to meet and targets to achieve and growth to welcome, but that doesn't mean it's a free-for-all for anything that any developer can imagine up. And, and we're seeing that happen with one of the sites that are being grandfathered in, and I'm going to use that term very loosely, uh, at 30 and 35 stories at the foot of Brant and Lakeshore, where we currently have a, a very low low story hotel. And this is now coming in as something that's also very uh, alarming to the community uh, because it's going to wall off access to the lake. Uh, and there's probably going to be little chance for the city to help to shape that, knowing how powerful the land tribunal can be in making planning decisions for the city. So we'll come back to the kind of uh, larger OLT problem in a second. But and I guess if that development my, my feeling kind of is, is that development at, at what used to be the Waterfront Hotel or the, the, the Travel Lodge, uh, some people will know it as. Uh, at one time, when certainly when I, I came to Burlington not that long ago, in sort of 20, 2003, four, there was kind of the only building on that side of the road. Of, you know, so that was, the, you know, that was the only thing, and it's, it's a low-rise building, that would kind of block your view uh, from Lakeshore Road off the lake. And now it seems that if those buildings go ahead and the other buildings that are envisaged on Old Lakeshore Road, it really is a kind of worst nightmares come true of, the, of, a, of a kind of wall from Old Lakeshore Road right down to Spencer Smith Park with only Spencer Smith really being uh, kind of breaking up that um, that uh, row of, of very tall buildings. I mean, not just tall, but very tall. Um and again, this isn't directed as a criticism of of you or anybody who's really. It, it's 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 quite the opposite. It's, it's that that kind of element of powerlessness that all the democracy I feel is on the side of the municipality. That municipality is is elected by people who you consult, who you work with. You go through all this process, and then we get the buildings anyway. Um, is it? I mean, do you agree with? I mean, you've already kind of said that the old T should be abolished or reshaped. Why isn't that? A much bigger issue at the province or, or at a at a provincial level that we hear about it constantly in local news um, and whether council is delivering on promises and blah blah blah. When it seems to me that you know you're doing what you can, uh, but you're constantly running up against this brick wall of the province and and the OLT that just throw a kind of hand grenade into everything. We've put our advocacy forward in the right way to put our advocacy forward. We did it by way of a unanimous resolution at Halton Region. I mean, that's representing 550, almost 600,000 residents uh, with a unanimous voice. So I would think it's incumbent upon the current government to hear those voices. And I have to believe that with the inevitable um, response that we'll start to hear from community members when they learn more about some of the developments that are coming forward for Burlington, they will likely make it uh, a very vocal issue in the months to come. Um, we have done what we are to do from a city perspective. We try to work very closely and collaboratively with our upper level partners. We go to Association of Municipalities. It's a great forum where we're able to uh, dialogue and delegate with that level uh, at the province. And I think Burlington has really made its intentions known. Uh, there should be no surprise to anyone out there that Burlington wants its planning authorities. Uh, Burlington wants uh, much more sensible growth here. Uh, and we want the urban growth center shifted and the MTSA removed. Uh, and we want to shift some growth over to those go stations and create the complete communities that are transit oriented and amenity rich. 
Um, I just I wanted to, to chime in on a on a kind of something that's popped in my head, and it's something we talked about in the, in the last uh, last episode between Roland and myself. Is that the game seems to be stacked against municipalities in in Ontario, um, and it's this is this isn't uh, a, a situation centered just on Burlington or really Halton region. It's really the entire nine hundred five region, uh, and the, the example I'll give is developers. Have have a different argument here in Burlington. Here in Burlington, they'll come and say you need more intensification. You need higher, higher buildings, more stories. We need to build higher, better, stronger. What that's their argument. Yet next door in Hamilton, different region, different rules. They say no, no, we can't. We can't build up in Hamilton. We need to preserve the her- the heritage of the downtown in Hamilton. We need to build out. There's all this this white belt un- untapped farmland in Hamilton. We need to build that. And my question is. Or my my, kind of, my statement is more just this divide and conquer mentality between developers and the cities because the cities really don't have any power or any real legislative power to say no we're stopping the we're stopping it here because it all goes back to the province at the end, end of the day they go to the OLT or the OMB whatever the, the change will be next year whatever the title will be and they and they, that's that's ultimately where they go so they play this divide and conquer game between the municipalities. Have you reached out to any of the neighboring municipalities, not just in Halton, but say in Hamilton, uh, St. Catharines, Niagara Falls, Mississauga? Mississauga is going through a similar uh, situation with their development uh, and whatnot. And say we're all being, we're, we're all we're, we're getting different arguments from different people. What we need is the the power, more power to decide for ourselves and just kind of have have all of you come up and say to the province, no. Give us the power. Change the change the legislation so that we have more power and more uh, more discerning power to to affect this. Instead of ultimately, it's just pick and choose. Like, are, are are you? Is there any kind of strategy forming between all the municipalities to tackle the this divide and conquer mentality? Yeah, that's a good question, Joel. I think every municipality wants their own authority, and we've been starting to hear more and more of those types of things as. The provincial government makes things more and more difficult. So I think that there was a sense of relief or, um, I don't know, a, an approach that might be a little bit more equitable. Like, let's not forget that the odds are stacked at the tribunal against the municipalities and even more so against residents. So recent changes have actually squeezed out residents from participating in proceedings, which to me, um, you know, I'll leave it to Roland if you want to comment on democracy, but I find that very (laughs) difficult when, you know, there's three real players here at the table each time. One is the community, one is the development community, and one is the municipality. And one of those voices has effectively been squeezed out. Uh, The other voice, the city's voice, you know, we're we're running up against, um, you know, very difficult resources to deploy, right? We can't always get the best lawyers. They're under retainer from the development community. We know that. Um, I've had that personal experience when trying to be a resident looking for lawyers to represent and you can't get anybody unless they're, you know, almost 200 kilometers away that is not under some kind of a retainer. Um, And the odds are really stacked. So there was a sense of relief when the LPAT came in and the LPAT was going to take into account all of the public record and everything that's been presented and the flip over to sort of, I think it was called an OMB and then an OLT. I feel like the letters don't even really matter because they still do the same thing and they just deliver a de novo hearing, a de novo hearing council evidence at the moment in time that the evidence is presented. We know though that uh, planning files have 
lots of dynamics associated with them. And I think that's what municipalities are calling on is to hear the whole story, hear exactly why this matters, and then make a balanced decision. And I certainly think there there can be a place for checks and balances. Like we don't want the flip side where a community could find an extremely development-friendly council that would usher in so much growth that infrastructure would be uh, pushed into a dangerous position, right? We don't want the other side and we don't, I think, want municipalities that say no to absolutely everything. Burlington's been very clear that it will welcome growth that's sensible and compatible and that's not what we're seeing. And that's why there's been so much pushback. So across other municipalities, we are seeing, I think, um, Mayor Marcus is very vocal around the tribunal. We've seen some call-outs, I think, in St. Catharines and Niagara. Um, Hamilton, I think, is developing more of their position. They haven't really been, you know, receiving like a terrible decision that I that I have awareness around that's really impactful. But I think when they start getting some, they will. Uh, Oakville has exercised a minister's orders to save Glen Abbey because that was heading to the tribunal for years on end. Um, So, you know, I think every municipality is acutely aware of the powers of the unelected appointees of the land tribunal, and and we're very much looking to have a much more equal place at that table and at least the same ammunition, which we don't have right now. Do you see the municipalities seem to be playing into developers, the developers game? And what I mean by that is you yourself in this interview have mentioned the importance of you need to revise the official plan for Burlington. And every municipality has an official plan that needs to be approved and it's supposed to lay out how the city is supposed to look. Um, But the city did have an official plan. It was by the previous council, elect. they voted one. The new council was voted in and they were voted in on a kind of on a mandate to, we're going to change the official plan to something else, which is what it is now. So the point I'm trying to make here, long-windedly, is that next municipal election, say somebody, a new council is elected with a mandate, or it comes in and say, we're going to change the official plan again, and we're going to say unlimited stories, hypothetically. There's nothing stopping that from happening. And we go back to, again, we revise the official plan, and it comes back, and all this, we just go through this all again. Meanwhile, developers just keep coming in and say, we just keep putting in putting in new new developments, new projects, new projects, new projects. There's, there's, to me, it just, it just seems uh, a distraction from the actual fight of trying to go to the province and saying, give us more power, give us a more, a more change the legislation to give municipalities more power or more autonomy. And fighting over an official plan just seems to be a bit of distraction. Is, am I off base by with that analysis or, or is, there, is there a bit of truth to that? Well, I mean, there's always a glimmer of truth in every uh, every lie. So, oh, well, uh, thank you. I guess <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea how to take that. <laughs> so, let's talk about the Burlington example. So, we know that the 1997 official plan had been updated a number of times. Maybe the province wasn't as clear as it needed to be on how updated an updated plan was, but was legally telling under the Municipal Act that you need to have an official plan. The official plan didn't really change all that that much when it came to most areas of the city. When it came to the downtown, that's where people woke up and were like, whoa, what? That's going to do what to where I live? And that's not that's not going to work for me. So my understanding is that even as early as 2010, some formal conversations and formal engagement pieces rolling you around, maybe you know, uh, <laughs> were starting to happen around 
official plan work. And then the council of the day just continued to kind of take milestone by milestone. But at no time was there any indication that those types of development heights were were something that were on for the city. And you know how we know that? Because the 22 stories at Bridgewater was supposed to, as early as the 90s, be the highest building. So everything should have tapered off from that. And that was to be the landmark building at the lake. End of story. So no, there really wasn't a, a path for, I'll call material change in each and every different official plan or official plan amendment or official plan consideration, it was much more balanced approach. So any type of insinuation that councils or council can, you know, go 180 on growth and overall development, it really doesn't hold a lot of water because there's also checks and balances like planning staff and we're a lower tier municipality. So Halton region also would have to line up with it. And we also have our integrated growth management strategies that we're filing into. So we're really not that autonomous that we would have enough runway to really make those wide, you know, turning a steamship around type of changes. But we certainly did exactly what we wanted to do. And that was re-examine the downtown official plan policies. That's the pinch point. So we did a little more work on some of the intensification nodes and we did a little bit more work on the downtown. And I think we got to a place where the official plan, again, another check and balance was something that the community could support. Even if it wasn't perfect, it could still be supported. And, and uh, well, I'll repeat what I, what I said on our, uh, last episode, uh, Thursday episode, which was, if I if I had been in your shoes, uh, I would be pleased right now because what I what, what I think both of us kind of ran on um, uh, has come to pass that the the urban growth center has been moved, the major transit station area uh, designation has been moved. The official plan has been uh, rewritten. The problem is, the catch is that in our current climate, I mean, so so those are good things, uh, and that's a real achievement. And I'm almost surprised how much has been achieved on those things. The the the, the catch is two things: that people's expectation has very much focuses on council as being the the ones who have to stop the buildings, and you can't do that because. The reality is that these decisions, that you've done everything you can, but so much power lies with the OLT and with the province that um, you're constantly undermined by pretty much the decisions made on a whim by by uh, a uh, uh, the chair of the OLT. Um, is that a fair, a fair analysis? I think the OLT has asserted itself more in recent years with situations where 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 the applicant was and where the city was was so diverse whereas in previous I don't think you would have seen decisions where you know the delta was was so much that it was like unpalatable right like when we're talking around you know double the size and you're getting a decision of that magnitude that's painful for a municipality whereas in previous maybe we didn't have decisions that were that um, you know, reaching in their impact on a community. And don't forget, we hardly get anything in exchange. When the, o- when the OLT or an OMB or an LPAT makes a decision, out the window goes, you know, community benefits. It, it goes further discussion. It can come back modified through a settlement where the community has no conversation whatsoever on the outcome. And we are asked as council, how we have the settlement proposition put before you in closed session do you support it or do you want to go and fight? Um, and they can be developments that are 
you know, materially different than what the community saw in their statutory public meeting, in their pre-application, and councils told, do you want to approve this so we don't have to go to to a hearing? Um, and I find, you know, again, Roland, you're the one that touched on democracy. I find that to be a really difficult situation to be in as a councillor because I think we should be very transparent with our community and we're not able to do that when we're behind the closed doors of a legislative tribunal. Making planning decisions uh, that you know, will impact community members, especially, again, reminding ourselves that community members are getting squeezed out of being participants. Um, you know, we could be asked to, to settle something and a participant could be a community group and they won't have any idea what we're doing because we're now striking separate deals with the tribunal and the developer. So I, I really feel that inherently this needs to get looked at again and, and go back to consider that entire public record. My impression is um, that you know, since 2018, just, just following your career and the career of, of the other people elected that year, um, that um, some of the biggest decisions you've had to make have been in camera about whether to go to LPAT or not, because everything else has kind of got bypassed one way or the other for, for whatever reason. Uh, and you know, again, that's the law. You you can't do anything else. This is a You have to do that in camera, so there's no criticism uh, implied there at all. But these are huge decisions, and we don't know how councillors voted. We don't know how the mayor voted. We don't know how any. So um, we don't even know what our council's position. And I say our, um, you know, the people of Burlington uh, don't know the positions that their councillor have been taking, so they can make an informed decision at the next election. It's really, uh, 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 yeah. I mean, it, this to, to me, you know, the debates about. Um, you know, is this nimbyism? Is this, uh, you know, we, we need to have growth, blah, blah, blah. It's by the way, this is ultimately about democracy, that people have the right to have a voice in shaping their own communities um, and a strong voice. And that's what the rest of the world kind of has, you know, and we're not saying that a city should be able to say, okay, no one can come and live here. We're not saying that a city should be able to just, you know, uh, close the door um, or, you know, have kind of ridiculous levels of control over what's built where. Um, but ultimately, that that vision, they should be able to have a strong vision that is built in, in collaboration with residents um, that has an excellent chance of actually coming into being. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I... I uh, <laughs> it's a tough job that you have to do in this in this current climate, and um, it, it's difficult to. Um, I, I don't envy you. Let's put it that way. <laughs> anyway, what, what, what <laughs> so I think you make an excellent point around the community, and and you know you use the terms NIMBY and by counterpart YIMBY early on. I've heard now hundreds of delegations, and, and given a dozen, uh, what I have only heard is really thoughtful, considered dialogue. I mean, you always get the outliers one way or the other, but I've heard really thoughtful dialogue around how can this be made better to work within our community? I've heard people say, I get that we need to grow, but I'd like to see better setbacks, or I get that we need to grow, but that's just too much because of the shadowing and the wind impacts. Um, you know, I think that the Burlington community has become really evolved on planning and planning matters and our speaking planners speak. I know so many residents that are actually getting in there and diving into planning justification reports, quoting them in delegations. Um, you know, this really isn't by any stretch of the imagination a superficial concern. This is people who are genuinely ready to put in the time, ready to learn, and ready to work for how they can help shape their community by preserving those. It's, it, there's a list of 13 values 
um, that were being considered in that re-examined downtown work. And when we look at what those values are and put each development up against those values, that's where the community wants to see development line up into. So there really isn't a no nothing. It's yes, but how is this going to enhance what we have and preserve what we value? So I really feel that the the community should be commended and they should have a line into those dialogues that are happening uh, at the tribunal. And we can't talk about them. They're, you know, they're blocked while anything that's in legislation is, is blocked. Um, I, I, just, I have one final question that uh, I want to ask, ask you, Counselor. Uh, do, does, do developers in the development industry have a seat at the table in Burlington to plan what the next, let's say, 10 years of Burlington is going to look like? Like, is, if, if you were to sit down and say, okay, let's sit down, sit, the people, you know, the group of citizens, some of the counselors sit down, would the development industry, in one way or another, have a seat at that table to actually kind of say, how do we develop? What do we need? What needs to be, what needs need to be met? What do people want to see? And what can the development industry provide? Is that possible? Uh, going forward? Yeah, that's absolutely happening. So I also believe in an equitable seat. I don't think that anyone should get a special seat at the table. I think that all those stakeholders should be treated equitably, whether it's someone who's very interested in climate adaptation, whether it's someone from the development community, whether it's a NIMBY, a YIMBY, um, whether it's somebody who's very concerned with active transportation and bike lanes, whether it's somebody that's uh, you know, vehemently looking to protect the waterfront. I think everyone who's a stakeholder in our community needs an equitable seat at the table. And I'm reminded of the attendance of uh, Carriage Gate, uh, Molinero, um, some other ones who had who had attended those open community meetings. Roland, you were there. They happened over at the Lions Club. Workbooks were put out on tables. Community members were mixed in with members of the development community, were mixed in with local business owners. They were given workbooks that said, you know, how would you like to see the city grow? Uh, All of the developers, there's a forum called HADLAC that operates off of the region. um, And all of the development community partners are invited to have dialogues with the region, especially when we were looking at one of the information papers on the on ROPA 48 as it relates to the Urban Growth Center and MTSA. Um, and they were invited to all of the public information sessions and able to ask their questions and have their answers heard on those um, forums. And so were community members. And so, in fact, were other councillors, believe it or not. So there certainly is a line of communication in. I've uh, let every developer know they're welcome to talk to me. I just think it's fair that you know that they're talking to me um, because there is a financial result that would happen by way of using my vote. So I've got my business registry in place. We're working towards a lobbyist registry. So there's lots of avenues in. Um, if they choose to exercise it, that's that's on them. Uh, but there's no closed doors for anybody who wants to talk about development for the city of Burlington. All right. I think I'm going to end it right there because we're coming up on 40 minutes uh, for the episode. So uh, thank you, Councillor Lisa Kearns, Ward 2 in the city of Burlington for coming on today to give us a little bit of insight into what goes on at the council table in regards to uh, really the the topic for the 905 region, which is development, uh, not just in Burlington, but I think around the entire entire region. So thank you very much, Councillor Kearns, for taking the time from your day to come on and, and chat with us. Thanks. Thanks for having me.
that's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.